Hey friend, welcome to the Chip Away podcast. For this episode, I'm joined by Glenn from Millen's Custom Tool Belts. Few builders out there have been waiting for this one. We go deep into all things Millen's, all things tool belts. Glenn is the son of John, the man who started it all. We go deep into John's legacy. We learn about Millen's through the years and how the business has changed and keep relevant with the times, how they've been able to do what they do for so long through the support of the local tradies and the passion that they have for a fantastic product made in New Zealand. Really enjoyed this one. It was one that uh, I had wanted to do for quite a while, so uh, here it is. As part of this episode, Glenn has been kind enough to run a giveaway. So if you would like to be in the draw, have a chance to win yourself a Millen's custom tool belt up to the value of 500 New Zealand dollars, then hop on over to Millen's custom tool belts on Instagram. There'll be a post flying around there talking about the giveaway, about the podcast. Like, share, tag your friends, and you're in the draw. Easy as that. Heck of a prize, heck of a thing to win. They make beautiful belts and uh, we're about to hear all about it. So enjoy. Here's Glenn from Millen's Custom Tool Belts. Glenn, mate, I appreciate you coming on and, and getting to share the story of a great Kiwi business. Thanks for coming along. Oh, thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, no worries. So I want to crack into it about uh, a little bit about you, yourself, your, your story, obviously the story of Millen's and, and how it all started. Yeah, it's a story a lot of people out there want to hear. Let's get into it. Okay, excellent. Well, I guess a little bit about myself. I have grew up, basically all I knew was tool belts growing up as a kid and so forth because um, dad started the business when I was a, just a little fella. I always grew up being around aprons, selling aprons, designing aprons, doing from my earliest memories were having to come home from school, grab something to eat as you do. I'd have a microwave, uh, the Milo set up in the microwave, ready to heat that up when I got home from school. And then um, I'd go watch TV, but Dad would have aprons set up for me to have to go and rivet the aprons while I'm watching TV. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure I'm not just suddenly doing nothing. Awesome. Productive. (laughs) Yeah, very productive, yeah. So it's been in my blood for a long time. But then, of course, I just wanted to do my own thing as well. So sort of after I went to uh, Roseville College here at, um, in Papakura for a little while, then moved out to Tuakau, did most of my school years at Tuakau College, and then um, left and decided to go do my own thing. I started a plumbing apprenticeship way back when, and I thought, this is this is all good. This is the, you know, the way it is. And then one of my mates tapped me on the shoulder in time and this is a kind of a life lesson for me. It was at the time. I said, "Oh, come work at my, come work at the chicken farm. You get an extra three dollars an hour." <laughs> I was like, three dollars an hour? That's yeah, that can buy a lot more beer with that." So yeah. <laughs> I left. I left the plumbing apprenticeship and went and um, worked at a chicken hatchery for uh, three or four years. That was one of my biggest life lessons that I always used to look back at myself. Was like, you know, if I just don't always chase the money, chase what you enjoy doing and what's going to set you up for the future. Mm. Um, while the money was good at the time, long term, it wouldn't have been a bad thing to be a, a qualified plumber. So it was sort of a bit of a life lesson. But um, you know, following that, I went over overseas to the OE as, as you do and um, travelled around, then come back and ended up driving earthworks machines and, and bits and pieces and then come back and went back into the family business when I was in my early 20s. Um, from that stage, I was in there for a few few years, probably three or four years. Once again, it, it got to a stage where it was getting to the point where it was like I wanted to take the business one way, mum and dad wanted to take it another way, more more mum, without jumping ahead too much. By that stage, dad had had some serious medical issues, so mum was running the business more and more, and I just... And I decided, right, well, it was a mutual decision. So I'll go do my own thing again while um, you carry on and take the business your way. So like, it was family, family first, basically, because if we kept going the way we were, family would have, because it's tough, family business. You know, it's it's an interesting dynamic to make it, to make it work, mm. family and business mixing them together. So I ended up um, going off and 
working for a container firm for a while and selling um, containers and my natural um, skill set that I got through designing aprons over the years worked perfectly for shipping containers because, you know, I, I um, specialised in the modification side of the business and the containers business, so I'd modify containers for anything and everything from walks to kitchens to a um, did all sorts of big projects for the New Zealand Defence Force and the likes because they always had interesting. So my skill set there sort of lent itself quite nicely to be able to consult with the customers and work out exactly what they think they want to what they do want mm. to producing the finished products. So and then I, I've been back in that I was doing the, um, as, a, as a side hustle. I was always doing millions on the side um, while I was doing the containers. So I always keep my finger in there, you know, it's, it's, in, it's in your blood. Yeah. <laughs> I left my full-time job doing the containers and come back into the business full-time. Um, so it's all very recent that I've come back into it full-time and really given, and, um, given a real good crack again and, and sort of revitalising the brand um, and pushing it back out there and, and making it a, a real go of it. But that's a bit of summary on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, if we get into the business, then the business dad originally started out, he did his trade as a footwear clicker. So he learned his leather trade in making shoes and, and most famously is making nomad shoes. So if, if you remember back at school and typically it was either tricks, you're a tricky or a nomad person and you had to collect all the tags and everything else. So <sighs> dad used to make all the nomads. All right. um, that's where he learned his trade. Murray Taylor, I think it was originally where he used to work and did his um, apprenticeship. Back then in the, in the 70s, they were striking quite a lot and a lot of very unionised and dad, mm. dad's a worker. He just you know, work, work, work. That's what you do. So he didn't like not working and getting told what to do and not to work and, and so forth. So what um, his best friend slash neighbour at the time was a builder and he's saying, I just can't find a decent apron anyway, you just can't buy anything off the shelf, there's just these, these really plain straight across aprons that were very, very basic back in those days, mm. and he, um, so he said, oh, he said, John, can you help me out? And he said, oh, I probably can, so what he would actually do is he would smuggle a little bit of leather home every night from work, <laughs> when he <laughs> did go into work, and um, got enough to build an apron and, and sat with Trevor and helped build a couple of aprons up. And then when, each time they would strike, Dad would go and walk the building sites and go build into the building to talk to all the different builders and see if he could make them an apron. And those early years, is always, it's, we, there's still some aprons out there that he, he made back then, 30 years ago. Wow. They're still kicking around as they resurface. Um, and it's really interesting to see them because uh, Dad's colorblind. So ah. he would put all sorts of colors of all sorts of things in and put them all together to make a real, yeah. So there's all sorts out there, but um, yeah, that's how he got started basically from his um, neighbour who wanted a decent apron, couldn't find it, and then they just kept working on it from there. And um, that's where it started, and we have, um, that just slowly built and built. I best talk to mum and dad around the actual timelines because I'm not, uh, Faye being a younger kid back then, but um, as it went through, mum had a ball shop and she was working full time, and um, doing that, dad was doing this um, leather business, doing the tool belts, and he ended up um, getting to the stage where mum had to leave the business and come across and help out in the tool belt business, and she was doing a wool shop at the time, and then it was 23 years ago, in a couple of months. Dad had a massive brain hemorrhage. Mm. He was out doing what he's been doing for, um, well, every, every day he was out there selling aprons sort of thing, and he rung up one time and he was saying, oh, you know, a really bad headache, got a really, really bad headache, and he got my sister on the phone, um, luckily, because if he'd got me, I probably would have yeah, hard enough and come home. Mm. <laughs> but he ended up getting my sister, and she's like, Dad, you just don't sound right. You know, you're disorientated and... Um, yeah, it's all over the show. So go to find a local A&E to where you are. And um, basically he he did that and the doctor was onto it. And that night he was in Auckland Hospital getting his head cut open to release the pressure from a, a brain bleed he had in his, in his head. Far out. That, that all happened. 
Uh, he was in intensive care and that for for three or four months. He was in high dependency and intensive care as he's coming out of that and wow. couldn't remember anything and that really affected it. the whole family quite a lot. And obviously dad was the main breadwinner who were bringing and making the apron. So that um, and then we had a and around the same sort of time we had a small house fire as well. So that was that was good. Oh, right. Interesting uh, turn of events there for myself because at this time I was in the I just joined the volunteer fire brigade, <sighs> and um, yeah, it was probably it's within six months of first joining. Then here he's the fire service coming and put out our house at home. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was very interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Dad got very sick there for a while, and he he come through it obviously, which was um, quite miraculous. As, as he come out of there in the coming year or two, few years through that period of time, he obviously he could never get back to full capacity, and um, he and we struggled quite a bit as a business and as a family to keep um, money coming in, and just got really quite tight. But what really kept us going um, was one just the passion of the builders and the past customers that they have for millens and our product and our tool belts and everything we do. It was just, it's, it was like one of the things that really sort of um, kept the family going was was the, the tradies out there mm. supporting us and giving, encouraging us and, and you know, just getting you through the, the tough times. And, and there's some very, very loyal and amazing guys and I'll say girls, but mainly it's guys back then out there on, the, on those sites, um, just the encouraging us as a family, effectively. So, yeah, and then when got over those few hiccups and we started to come right again and Dad's health got a bit better so he could work more in the business, um, employed a few more staff, employed a couple more sewers and um, and grew a bit bigger. And we, at, at our largest stage, we had a 10,000-square-foot factory in Pukekohe, wow. which is now the super cheap business. Um, for anybody who knows Pukekohe, it's the super cheap building in there. At that stage, we were manufacturing tool belts not only for ourselves but for other companies as well. Mm. Um, so we manufacture those and supply them and, and um, get them out and about and, and so forth. So And we were a food supplier for Carters at that time as well. So mm. went along very nicely. A bit, and it was going very well, But what, and we were supplying more and more to um, the larger stores, direct to the stores. But what we found was we lost touch of our roots, which is the tradies, because you end up having another two or three people in between you if you're selling it to somebody else or you're selling it to a, a big store and then they sell it to the customer. We lose interaction with the tradie, the end user, which was a long way away from our roots and where the business has come from. And that's basically shortening up 40 years of business. That's we've come back around full full loop again and gone back to being selling direct to the builders. There's only a couple of shops in New Zealand that will actually stock our gear um, through because that's our choice. Basically, we mm. want to sell direct. We want to keep keep the um, interaction, um, keep up to date with what's going on, and and basically just it allows us to try to keep the costs as well down as, as much as possible while providing a, a top quality New Zealand. Product. We're very, very, um, very loyal and parochial about keeping New Zealand working, mm. basically. So we've had lots of offers, as you can imagine, make it offshore, do this, do that. You'll save money, you'll make, make huge, huge margins, you'll do this. And it's like, but that's not what we're about. <laughs> yeah. We're about New Zealand and keeping New Zealanders employed and looking after the New Zealand industry. So as much as we can, we buy New Zealand materials and yeah, we pay a bit more for some of it, but it's quality, you know, we're going to get and, and you're keeping um, food on the table and the money going around inside New Zealand as opposed to offshore. So with our new, uh, we did some new new branding. As part of the new branding, we have, um, as the the dot on the eye, trying to explain it as I can without pictures, um, we've actually put in a thumbs up as part of the Millen's um, brand there, and that is to represent added to bring in some of his um, personality into the brand because dad's favorite saying and he gives you the thumbs up is shit hot so <laughs> yeah, he just loves everything shit hot good on you mate and, and thumbs up so we wanted to incorporate some of dad's personality into the brand so 
yeah, putting the thumbs up and into the um, the Millen's name is above the eye was um, the story behind that, and we also underlined the NZ on the end intentionally so it shows New Zealand standing out. Mm-hmm. So representing New Zealand with dad's shit on. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, that's a that's a good touch. I like that. Great. Here's a bit of a here's a bit of a summary on the on the business. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I really appreciate the the kind of bit at the end there about you know coming back to your roots and um, keeping in touch with the builder and, and like you say, doing it for the Kiwis out there. And, and I love that. that That's just an awesome story about a, you know, a small business where, and, and its journey and how many people you've helped. I wonder, do you, do you reckon you know how many tool belts you guys have put out over the years or? We've actually been asked this a few times and we can't put a number on it. Hmm. Um, thousands. Yeah. Thousands. Yeah. Um, it would be hundreds of thousands, probably. I'd say over the forty years, mm-hmm. um, especially when we were in our uh, bigger capacity, and we were easy producing, you know, a few hundred tool belts a week, sort of thing back then. But you, you lose the, you get too big, and you lose the intimacy, and and yeah, it's, it's not quite the same. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, hundreds of thousands, and and all the time we get people come to us and say, oh. Um, have you done this before? And most likely we have, but <laughs> it will be just in a slightly different configuration, if you know what I mean, because everybody and every business is different. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, and all the different trades we've done. Yeah, we've done some pruning. I did a farrier's role the other day. Um, we do hairdressers, pouches, barbers, pouches. Started doing a few more knife sheaths. Still sell at least one to two aprons a week. Um, internationally, right. we we have a, a number of um, tool belts go offshore. Australia is always the most popular location to send them, but we do send them uh, Canada, England, America, the sort of the usual um, usual places. One of the beauties of that, especially before COVID, was that Kiwis are well travelled. So typically, mm. they'll have a balance tool belt, then they'll do their OE, and then they just can't find a decent tool belt. Um, around the world and they phone us up or some of them even when they come back on holiday they plan to come and pick up another penny when they're here and <laughs> take it back with them so that was that's not unusual some of we've had one or two they've actually flown back just to get a tool belt and gone back again yeah so far, far a few between but that's what people will do <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's great you know like you were saying people keep coming back and you have that intimacy with your uh, customer base. Do you think that that sort of um, intimacy or that long-standing relationship with with the builders, or, or you know, like you say, you make a lot of pouches for different trades as well. Has that helped develop your product as well? All that feedback, all that relationship. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. Because that's what we found. We lost one of the things you lost when you're dealing through the big stores is as tools developers, the way. Um, people do the same job but do it in a different manner, you lose touch of all those things. If you just mm. look at how much um, standing knives have changed to, you know, as one tool, they used to be just a little slim silver standing knife and now they're a big fat max, huge curved. Mm. And so you've got to adapt your um, pockets and designs and everything else to change to how they do it. So um, the change recently that everyone is running on battery now as opposed to running on pneumatics, and all the rest of it for their guns and their other tools and not having cords dragged around everywhere. So, um, and well, I've just done a design yesterday. Um, well, someone we're working at the moment of doing a pouch for a, a boat maker who makes um, mm. um, that runs all the canvas and the boat shades. So he's just looking for a simple pouch to put the um, scissors and knife and pencils and they're just sitting on his hip and then i've just done another one for some picture framers mm. um so for when they're working at benches so those ones those customers that come in and, and they're a little bit outside of um the typical building trade really help us develop our overall product because it, it pushes us and stretches us and you have to innovate on some extra products which then quite often you can think oh well now i can apply this over here mm. so the, the hairdressers pouches we we I spent hours and hours coming up with new designs for some hairdressers pouches that were um, requested by a client and they were sold 
all around the world. They um, ended up for Redken and they went to, I know the makeup artist for the Oscars was wearing them and all sorts of stuff. So wow. we've had, yeah, had gear <laughs> go around the go around the world, that's for sure. But but those products, yeah, do help stretch the grey matter basically, and then you can then apply that onto other areas. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I mean. Uh, what makes a good pouch, you know, even not necessarily just a builder's belt or, or, or any particular trade, but what do you think makes a good pouch? Because I'm thinking, you know, uh, the Millens team, more than maybe anyone in the country, must know all about how people like to set up their pouches or how they like to organise things. What makes a, a great pouch, do you think? What makes a great pouch and what is... A great pouch is a pouch that makes a person's life easier, their work easier, um, smoother, more economical, like ergonomics and efficiency. Mm-hmm. So a simple thing of just having, um, you use, and you still do, um, quite often you'll get um, tool belts out on the market that have only got the hammer on the left-hand side, despite most people being right-hand dominant. So what they have to do is actually cross across themselves, reach across mm-hmm. themselves, to pull their hammer out, for instance, to you, you up on in some tight space, you're trying to hold some timber up, and you're trying to reach across yourself, twisting yourself all up to try and get your hammer yep. to knock a um, nail in or, or knock whatever you're doing at the time. Um, so ergonomics, having your punch on your left and your hammer on your right, so you pull your punch out, pull your hammer out, bang bang, put them back in left to right, and you're you're on with the your job, same as your, your pencil and your ruler. You know, you put your ruler and your pencil on the opposite side, your pencil on your right and your ruler on your left because you're if you're right-handed, you obviously, mm. you know, it's just simple ergonomics and efficiency. So it's all about what makes your job, making your job better and more efficient. Mm-hmm. That's what I, that's my definition of what makes a good pouch. So it doesn't matter what job you're doing, what trade you're in. Um, if it makes your life easier and you're more efficient and you're, you're um, not putting as much strain on your body, then that's makes that's a good pouch. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. How 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 is let's say the let's talk about the classic builder's pouch that that you guys first started putting out. How has that changed over the years? Obviously, you talk about how tools develop and that influences the way a tool belt might um, react um, in that certain time, but. How do you think your product's kind of developed over the years and what direction has it moved in, do you think? Um, it's moved in, so the original tool belts were the straight across tool belts. So they went straight across your, your lap effectively. So when you're standing up, it's right there. So um, which is probably okay if you're working at a bench a lot and that you're not moving around too much. But as, mm-hmm. as soon as you've got to start climbing over things, through things, under things, up things, you need that range of motion in your body. So um, that's where tool belts evolved and adapted. Um, and we had through being on site, seeing the problems, listening to the guys, seeing what, you know, what they're always complaining about, the nails are spilling out here. The, and mm. so we and looked at the problem and found out why they're spilling. Well, it's because it's right in front of me. And when I lift my leg up, the pouch comes up with it and all the nails fall out there and, and those nails are worth so much each, and the boss is grumpy with me. And mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so basically, by sliding the pouches around to the side, it not only gives you right full range of motion when you're climbing and getting through um, anything, it also stops the pouches from coming up and all the nails falling out. Um, plus, it spreads the load from the front. Like when you when you're wearing a penny, and they can be up to five kgs of weight. Some of them the guys have got, um, and if that's all at the front of you, all that weight is pulling on your lower back. So, but as soon as you move that to your hips, then that's suddenly distributed to your side on your hips, and it's running down your legs and taken away from your back, which is your most critical part of your body. Mm. Um, so evolving it to do that and to work on the side, we then looked at, okay, we're still spilling nails occasionally, what's going on? Oh, I know what it is. The pockets aren't riveted down, so now we rivet our um, nail pockets to the back pockets so that they can't flap up on their own. Uh, um, hmm. but they're fixed down in place. So even if it does get caught on something and come up, they can't 
it doesn't easily come up and flap out on its full nails. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next evolution, uh, which people are really been c- clicking into, and any um, apprentices who might be listening to this, please pay, take note. Braces, shoulder braces, save your back. Mm. Do it now. I know you're six foot tall and bulletproof right now, but you won't be forever. Yeah. So spread that load, you know, and um, increasingly we see um, the older, more experienced trader coming in and, and getting braces fitted to help spread that load and save their back. But uh, sometimes the damage is already done and it's too, and it's even harder to reverse it. So look after you, look after it from the start and get it right. Mm. Um, and once again, by shouldering that load, you're then moving that weight from your back and spreading it more over how your body is designed to carry things as opposed to um, you're loading it up on your on your sides solely. It also allows you to not have the belt done up quite as tight too, which only through, um, only potentially, I don't know, there's no scientific about this, but I'm just thinking if it's not done up as tight, it allows more blood flow through your body because you're not trying to cut it off around your waist. With yep. your belt done up really hard trying to hold your belt up, pull belt up, yeah. Indeed, yeah. That's where the evolution's at, um, and it just yeah keeps keeps evolving in that sense. It's um, yeah, it's rich. I guess the true evolution is the fact that we personalise every tool belt mm. for for the user, because you can have ten different joiners all putting in joinery, but they all like to do things slightly different, have tools in a different manner and all the rest of it. And so by getting personalising and putting the right pockets in the right place for that person, that um, makes a massive difference. So that's that's the real evolution, to be fair, just that personal, those personal touches. Yeah. A... Yeah, I think that customization. do you think that's, that's catching on more and more and people are doing it more and more? You know, I look at, um, you know, the guy who put me through my apprenticeship, I sort of got uh, braces and I started wearing my tool belt a different way and um, it wasn't maybe the classic way that he always had you know he just had um, a penny on the front um, no braces yeah. ever and you know he's an older guy you know in his uh, in his 60s now and still swinging hammers um, and you know he would look at the younger guys on site with their braces and maybe their tool belts on the backs or on the side and go oh, I'm too old to change now but not, yeah. in- not interested you know and I'm not going to try that out and I think I remember he tried it out for a day wearing it the other way around or something and it just threw him in a loop he's like nah I don't like this and uh, yeah. away, away he went with his classic setup do you think that people are more um open to customizing their belt like not to go on but it's it's uh it's it just seems like such an important thing and and especially when you know to pay no mind about your tool belt that if you're a builder at least you're wearing for nine hours a day you know Mm. five days a week um it'll last you a long time it's really important for that to look after your body and to be efficient and you know for for the outlay of maybe a bit more money to spend on a good quality product it's you'll buy you'll save that money in the first few weeks just from you know what that belt sort of give back to you and at least in my opinion um so have you found that is is there a um, a growing kind of um awareness or hunger to customize people's tool belts uh more or is that something that uh millens has really always lived by like you say it's been your your evolution in terms of yeah that's i probably couldn't have said a lot of that as well as you just did it's exactly it's your most essential tool it's what everything else hangs off on what you use it it's it's your livelihood basically um even to the point um i think customers tell us of recently that They've had um, family members who have been builders all their lives and had Miller's tool belts and then have since passed away and then they've gone and cleared out their estate and so forth and what they've found is their old tool belt and that tool belt represents them because that's who they were. Mm. So it's, it's, it's your identity, it's everything. Your tool belt is, um, is yeah, as a trader, it's, it's everything. Um, but you, a lot of people don't probably click onto that soon enough. Um, it's probably the, the catch there. It's... It is our ethos. We've always um, done what 
the tradies wanted. You know, for, for Millens, it's kind of like, yes, it's changing and more people are going into it, but it's always been the way we've always done things, if you know what I mean. So it's kind of like just in, ingrained in us and that's and that everyone yeah, needs to be looked after. Dad will tell you, it's like you're the, you're the expert in mm. your field. I'm not going to go out there and tell you how you should be wearing your tools because you're the one doing it all day, every day. So why would I be telling you how to wear your tools? Yeah. You tell me how you want to wear it and I'll make it fit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. It's 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 such an important thing. You know, the tool belts, um, for me anyway, like uh, my tool belt and my hammer, they're my, they're my sacred items, really. Uh, you know, if I hang one up or if I get a new one, like I'll keep that old tool belt or hammer because yeah. I carried it for a, a lot of years and I built a lot of things with it and it's important. Um, so, yeah having one that could last you even longer and that you can have sort of um, a bit of time in uh, all for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you should, so the amount of tool belts we've, we repair that have held together with uh, silicon and cable ties and <laughs> wire ties and because <laughs> yeah. you just can't part with it. Yeah. 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 Even, even right. when we um, sell the new tool belts um, and then we still repair their old ones, but they've still got it there. So you, it's kind of like a safety net, and that's, that's your baby. Yep. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I want to, I'm quite interested to talk about, you know, your craft and, and even your dad's craft and uh, what it was back then. Um, obviously, a lot more. It was probably a, a more common occupation uh, what your dad was doing back then, and and how mm. how leather work and uh, kind of where where does it sit today? And it's just an interesting thing, you know. It seems something that um, like a handmade tool belt. Um, it's quite a niche thing these days, isn't it? Really. So I'm just interested in the craft and in, in general, and where you think perhaps that craft that you guys have and the talent that you have to make these these belts is that something that's going away or is it changing uh, in general in the world i'm just interested in that um well it's changed again because of covid so basically it was dying off and um as a as a lot of and you'll you know that in the uh, timber trade effectively all the school the carvers all um everybody even a, a really fine finisher for joinery and all the rest but all those real um detailed um, handcraft types skill sets were dying out over coming through it's really stimulated everybody to stop and look and go what else could i do you know what else can i do with my hands you know it's it's um reinvigorated people in the interest in that in that space so you're getting um, we get messages people coming and wanted to do apprenticeships working for us for free they want to come work for us for free so they can understand how to do it and how to work with the leather and and um, things like that. So the interest level has definitely increased again now, or the way it's well, coming back to its full circle. Everything seems to do a circuit in, in life, and people are wanting to get back in touch with that and really to learn those those uh, almost primeval skills because we've been playing with leather and timber and all that and metalwork and all that ever since um, we were cavemen, weren't we? So it's all come back to the very basics again and working with your hands and forging something with your own hands or having a veggie garden at home. So, mm. yeah, that's what the world's coming back around and realising that consumerism's got some pitfalls as well as some benefits. That's really encouraging to hear that, you know, people are approaching you about apprenticeships and, and wanting to keep that alive. It's it's a fascinating trade, like you say. It is almost primeval. That, that sort of work has been going on for so long um even today you, you know we have even in the tool belt market that there's a lot of more use of synthetic products and things mm. are changing all over the place do you think that you know going forward there's always going to be a place for leather at least in tool belts i i do so um i really do and i and one of my concerns and i you know just look at the bigger global perspective of things that farms used to back and reflect and you look at um, people wanting to move away from meat and um, eating meat and more uh, vegetarian and um, that general movement there. And if people are eating less meat, there'll be less leather available. And and so, you know, where's it going? What's the future? You always got to look ahead and so forth. And I think, no, I think there'll always be a place for leather, it's just a natural resource that's renewable. It's long lasting. Um, it doesn't add to the, like it's biodegradable if you, you throw it away and it will degrade over 
time if you into a lab it's all apart from the I guess the tanning chemicals they put into it apart from that it is um, uh, all natural man's tried but they can't replicate leather mm. man's tried but they have not can't find a material that can replicate leather in the way and it's um, characteristics in the way it molds and shapes to the body and to the person or the tool or whatever it's been applied to it's um, been yeah it just can't be replicated there are a lot of different uh, materials on the marketplace in tool belts they don't tend to have the same sort of life span or even um, the the design qualities aren't there as well it's probably another thing but from a materials perspective it's just um, short term <laughs> type it's a short term product really mm. as opposed to leather will always leather will always be there and it, it lasts and it breaks down and it's renewable yeah, I mean, it's proven, like you, you say, you, there's still tool belts kicking around that um, your father made all those years ago. Yeah, I guess we, we've kind of skirted around it. We've talked a little bit about it, but I just wonder, you know, what makes Millen's tool belts so much better? Obviously, the customization, but um, what do you think that's, that is really on offer um, as well as the customization aspect, but beyond, you know, what someone could just walk into your, your local hardware store and and pick up a tool belt as much as i should know all these things that are on a sales perspective i i, I do struggle for it i think what what really makes us different and a tool belt's different is that we make it with it sounds corny but make it with passion and intention and we want it to be each tool belt to be the very best tool belt and and to go out there and we like a super yankee uh, um so that's our our most popular tool belt, just a standard Super Yankee, and then we do all the different additions and features depending on what the person wants from there. That has about 168 rivets in it in one tool belt. So that is a lot of rivets that will hold it together and support it and to keep it going. Eventually, say, if um, your um, cotton starts to come away after five years or anything like that or anything starts to get a little bit loose from your nails or maybe a chisel's caught the cotton, the rivets will still hold it together. We and we make all of our tool belts out of um, at least two mil thick um, New Zealand leather. So all our all our leather is sourced from New Zealand. So it's all good. Um, somebody's talking to me today about what cows we use. Do we use Herefords or, or Frisians or, or go, no idea? <laughs> <laughs> it's cow leather. I don't know which which breed of cow. <laughs> um, but it's all New Zealand. All New Zealand leather. And it's all. Quality leather, and like I say, we um, you'll find our leather if you compare it with a lot of ones in the shops. It's um, quite a bit thicker, and it's also made from a full grain leather. So a full grain leather is a um, a leather that will have the shiny side on it and the rough side on one side. So the shiny side effectively is the outside of the the hide, which is where all the strengths at. You'll find some of your cheaper tool belts. Um, arrive a reconstituted leather so it's leather that's been ground up and then pressed together to make a new leather and that that doesn't last or it's a split leather or they call it suede leather which basically has been shaved down to get um if the leather's four mil thick for example they might shave two layers off it that are one mil thick each that would become your suede leather and then the two mils that'll be left which will have the outer skin on it um, is your full grain leather. So that's where the, the strengths so It's like when you you look at your most um, boots or shoes or your work boots, double with that smooth leather on the outside. So that's that's where the strength's at. Mm -hmm. um, your upholstery and your leather lounge suites, that's all shiny on the outside. So that's, and that might only be one and a half mils, but it's still very strong because that's, that's where it gets its. Um, yeah, like I say, it's the outside of the it's the outside of the cow or the hide that gives us its strength. So, um, also for all over the years, we've worked out where the key um, potential weak points are in our aprons through returns and things gone wrong over the years. So you learn, okay. So we've started um, like our all of our hammer holders or any areas that might be hanging a, a drill off it or hanging a gun off it. We use um, big flat. Um, pot rivets with a washer on the other side of it too so it gives it a really big uh, a really good bite and it gives it a big surface area so all of that stuff is absolutely hand hand done and no machine work or anything like that so we um, make sure we 
make it as strong as possible. So we even got an email today telling me one of our biggest problems is we make our tool bed tool belts too good because yeah they don't come back often enough to when they want to upgrade their model <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's the thing isn't it no that's awesome yeah. yeah i do notice that your tool belts at least visually have a lot more rivets on them so obviously that that is proven to sort of they hold together a lot better than than let's say some other tool belts on the market that don't have as many kind of rivets that you include in your super yankee for example yeah yeah absolutely and we try and make our pockets deep enough for the tools so the tools aren't going to fall out because quite often some of the pockets on some tool belts that are out there are quite shallow mm. so if you're putting a punch into it or anything like that then it's very easy especially once the leather stretches mm. um that the, the punch or whatever's in there will fall out mm. um and every, everything on our tool belts is there it's got a purpose it's got a design mm. it's got a reason why it's there and what it could be used for so um even there's another little leather bar we put there, which is just there atop the pencil pocket. That is there. So if you've got a, a new builder's pencil, um, you can slide it behind that little um, label and into the pocket and we'll stop it breaking off rather than sticking out and getting caught on something and snapping. Mm. And then, of course, when it's shorter, we just put it straight into the pocket. So just simple little things like that. Everything's got a purpose. Um, and... Well, I guess jumping back to our previous conversation was talk about innovation. That's something that's changing. People are moving more slowly, moving away from builders' pencils and using all of the um, the new automatic type pick marker type pencils and and, and moving up towards that a lot more. So that's once again the industry changing and adapting. So your product has to match it to keep it effective. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a great story, you know, the handmade stuff. It's it's made like you say with intention. It's a great a great product. Yeah, I'm <laughs> enjoying the story, enjoying the story. Yeah, you guys must have um got to know builders pretty well over the years. Um, you know, yeah. are they sort of your biggest customer probably the the trusty carpenter? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the builders definitely the biggest customer. Um mm and the most fun yeah there's some great stories a lot of them become good friends too so they end up coming back and we've got grandkids coming back now too so um yeah so again multi-generational we had a um get together for dad to celebrate um his time his legacy in the business and how much he's actually he actually changed the talk about business in new zealand and evolved Mm -hmm. it over the years um, so we've got some old customers who've been of customers of dad for 30, 40 years and they come around and um, there was two or three families there that were actually multi-generational who've had our, had our gear over the years and, mm-hmm. and all the different stories. And obviously uh, Trevor was there, who was our very first Millen's customer, who was the neighbour who I mentioned earlier on. Yep. Um, so we presented him with a little trophy, a little plaque saying Millen's first customer and yeah, it was quite a nice afternoon and lots of stories come out from that and mm. uh, even dad's going well well when I was young anyway and um, he'd planned a romantic night out with my mum and they went to the they went out to something movies or whatever it was and they stayed at the travel lodge which apparently was really fancy and the place to be back then mm-hmm. um, <laughs> so they got back to the motel room and um, then next thing mum's going what are you doing? Bang, bang, bang. What are you doing? Oh, I'm making an apron. I've got an order to go out tomorrow. So <laughs> we pulled out an apron and started making aprons. Yeah. As a as a kid growing up, we would get um, a little bit frustrated with dad because we'd he uh, we'd go pull into a gas station, fill up gas on the way on holiday, and then he would go and talk to he'd see another builder and he'd sell us and he'd yeah, ended up We'd be sitting in the car at the gas station for three quarters of an hour waiting for dad while he's talking to all the different chippies as they come in. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they're all good. they're all good fun. And and I grew up in my school days, school holidays. I'd jump in the van with dad and we'd drive around the drive around Auckland, um, going from site to site to site. And um, I'd normally repair the aprons while dad's talking to all the builders and that sort of stuff. And mm. so that was that was good fun, good memories. So yeah. Um, Dad's got um, dementia now, so he's got, uh, I don't know all proper terms, but anyway, he's got, got dementia, so 
it's an interest. It's an interesting fact, um, or maybe not a fact. It's a, a observation from the people from dementia New Zealand. Is they are saying that dad is actually quite a very high functioning um, person with dementia, but on a state of the state he's at, and they put it down to the fact that we still keep him active in the business, and dad still does um, a bit of cutting here and a bit of riveting there and a. And a Bit of this and moves a lot of stuff around. I can't remember he moves it as well, but um, because he's been doing it for such a long time, I think it's deeply ingrained in his mm. brain all the pathways and nerves and what to do on um, do the trade and make aprons and tool belts. And, and he just loves having the yarn. He, it like he makes his day every time someone calls in to, to buy an apron. He gets to tell his stories again. Um, but the same because he's still working in the business and being active and being involved in it. It's really helped, um, I guess, starve out dementia or slow it, slow it down. It's the fix sort of thing. So it does get worse right every week, um, but it's making a massive difference. So as opposed to, and that's where we're in a very fortunate position where we have the ability that um, as frustrating as it could be at times, having that in the business, working and helping and, and move and doing his things that when he doesn't have to be sent off to a home to sit in a home and just sort of waste away and, and wonder what he's going to do with himself if you know what I mean which I think is um is a, is a tough thing with some families have to make those decisions which is really really hard and we're very fortunate to be able to keep him involved in the business and, and he, like I say he gets to catch up with all the all the different guys you drop in to pick up their gear. So it really makes his day and um, makes a massive difference, I think, to his health on that, that side of it because he's just such a people person and he loves it every time I go to a site and take him with me. But I've got to be more careful these days because he's not quite so safety conscious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He sounds like an absolute legend, mate. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great story. Yeah. It, it, and it's, he's obviously he's still doing what he what he loves. Um, yeah, it's pretty special, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So at the moment, the business is uh, myself, my wife. My wife does it sort of part time. She's also a massage therapist, so she part time. She works in the business. Um, Sue Millen, my mum. So she still does a lot of sewing. All the other um, bits and pieces involved in the business. Dad, um, and I've got two daughters as well. So. I, pull them in when they want to earn a bit more pocket money as well. Otherwise, that's the whole, whole family and they're doing, doing their part and, yeah, juggle all parts of an aspects of running a business. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So, um, yeah, let's talk about more uh, Millens right now. How can um, – where do people go to get about? Where are you guys located? How can they kind of come in person? And what, what's the process when someone wants to, let's say, a builder wants to buy a Super Yankee and, and start customising it? Um, first, first process is to make contact, reach out, touch base with us. Um, then I'll start talking with you, whether that's in person, over the phone, or via messages or emails. Um, I do a lot. I can I can manage to do quite a bit over email and photos, and then I'll do a sketch and send it back and forth. So, quite often I've seen quite a number of talkouts over the years. You can imagine, so I can mm. sort of envision through a description of what it will look like or a photo, I would have seen it before and then we can make tweaks to it from those um, points. And if it gets a little bit complicated, then I'll do a sketch up to make sure everyone's happy with the layout of the design and, and get that right before we get it into um, production. We are found in the usual places of Facebook and Instagram under Millen's Custom Toolbelts. Uh, you can find us, our website is uh, millenstoolbelts.com and We've also got a mobile number, uh, 0800 number, 0800 Toolbelts. Email is sales at millenstoolbelts.nz. There's no co in that, it's just .nz. And then just yeah, start the conversation. I've got um, numerous inquiries on the go at any one time. So, yeah, at the moment, I've probably got about 10 or 11 different um, custom designs happening in the background at the moment where we're going through the different processes to, to get the, the right fit for the person. So. But I, I can do most of that um, relatively competently remotely as well. And if they wanted to come in and see us, um, we do work from home. We work out of our garage at home. We've uh, 
move things around. So mum and dad are upstairs and downstairs is all the factory and then uh, we live in the house next door so for my family. So we're all on the same property and all doing the same thing. So we're out in uh, Abercura in South Auckland. And like I say, we ship worldwide. We use DHL worldwide, you know, wherever it goes. And around New Zealand, we use uh, Korea Post. So that's normal uh, one-day delivery in North Island, two days South Island. And we also have, um, well, the lead time is always an important one. Um, at the moment, we're sitting, we try and keep it to about three to four weeks as much as we can, um, keeping in mind that it is all handmade and hand cut. So there's it's quite a bit of time and love goes into each one. So, <laughs> yeah, so it's quite a bit involved there. And if you do have, we do, we're getting a lot more companies coming in now and buying tool belts for their crew because they see as an extension of their own brand. So um, we will um, go to we go to embroider and get their logo embroidered, and we attach it to the tool belt, or we put it on the um, quite the ones just recently. We can just put the, the guys' names on it. Um, but just recently, we've been doing some for um, I put the date that they've come out of the apprenticeship, so the day they've become a tradesman, and they've put their date on the tool belt and. Um, they don't like that or another mum bought a tool belt for his son and put his birthday on it and done that. So all those little personalizations and tweaks and that just to make you know they're yours and yeah. It's different we have different colours available. We do for feature pockets and different and as things come available, I'll sort of keep watching Facebook and um, Instagram. I'll try and post up original things all the time. I'm always trying to come up with new wacky things. Some yeah. Sometimes I don't know what I'm going to do until I do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm just in there at the level supply. I go, well, can I, uh, I like the look of that. I'll take it and I'll figure it out and I'll, yeah, come up with something anyway. So, great. Most yeah. of the one I posted today, we managed to buy some heavy belting leather, but it's um, like a, it's a, a light ready color. So, that's the first time we ever had like red tool belts. Mm. Uh, I have to say, you have to. Everyone who's listening, keep an eye out on Instagram because we're working on a really custom job at the moment that is um, going to be over the top uh, when you see it. So he's a he's a mad, um, I won't say watch team yet, but he's a mad super rugby supporter. Um, so it's very heavily themed. So keep an eye on that coming out over the next, hoping to get it finished this week. We've been, I nearly said something that would give it away there. Um, so we've been, yeah, backwards and forwards to the embroiders anyway, because there's quite a few different logos and pictures on it. So, <laughs> oh, awesome. it's a, it's it's a, it's his uh, final hurrah tool belt, and he's he's mm. already told his family to bury me in it. So it's going to go in the coffin, you reckon? That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, very very passionate, and that's what we love it. The, the passion um, people have for their tool belt, and my wife when I. First met here and she came into the business and, and met was there and saw the different trainees come in and she goes, I just can't get over how passionate the guys are about their tool belts. I just never knew, you know, just didn't realise. And then, then you catch the bug from there. So Yeah. Oh, well, great. Yeah. I guess it all comes back to as well, like what I was picking up on all of that is that you have those um you must have some great skills to be able to turn what people are talking about or what they envision or what they draw into a, into a tool belt. You know, like you say, um, some people, I can imagine people will come to you and, and try and say, Oh, I bet you've never done this before. Or, Oh, you know, can you do this? It's like, yeah, of course we can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. if we can't, we'll find a way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah we'll figure it out. I like the challenge of trying to figure out stuff that you've never done before. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. It can be at times, but yeah, it's rewarding at the end once you've got, yeah, gone through all the trial and errors to get there. Yeah, too, right. I could imagine, like, not only um, is it kind of the heart and soul of Millen's, is the customization and, and the building the tool belt for the person, but that's obviously what makes it fun to do as well to craft those belts because everyone is a little bit different you know you're not pumping out the same belt over and over again uh so yeah it's engaging for you and it, it probably comes out with a much better product because you, you've invested a lot more of your energy and interest into it yeah absolutely and just seeing the guys um and that's what when they pick it up you know just seeing them the um 
excitement and, and just like that it's that it's like you know when you see it a picture and but you know i guess it's a a new client when you're building a new house isn't it it's a plan and then suddenly it's a new house they're moving into and it's just like wow you know that sense of wonder that's actually there and as they can mm-hmm. use it and feel it and touch it and yeah get quite a few of them think oh it's too good to bloody wear now <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the thing they come out nice and shiny and gosh you go out on site yeah my tall belt's filthy <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, very good. Hey, so uh, we we we've been talking. You're, you're talking about doing a giveaway in kind of in line with the podcast. So, do you want to talk about that and, and let the listeners know and the people out there what what they can do to maybe enter the giveaway or get involved? Yeah, absolutely. So, as part of this podcast, you would like to offer everyone who's listening a um, a giveaway. So, a free custom tool belt um, to the value of five hundred dollars. Um, so that'll get you a, a really decent um, tool belt um, custom made and whether you want to have um, the full Monty Super Yankee with all, all the bells and whistles or you're just looking for your own custom design and you want um, your brand on it and your name on it and your girlfriend's name and your boyfriend's name and everything else, <laughs> it's entirely up to you but we're, um, we're happy to give away up to basically a $500 voucher for a custom tool belt. Um, so if you listening to this podcast basically you've probably seen it online somewhere so if you're in um, social media tag your mate share it and um, basically get it out there and we'll um, get you in the draw and we'll get it drawn um, sometime in the near future I don't know a date because I don't know when the podcast is coming out but uh, <laughs> yeah. that'll, that'll be in the details below the podcast anyway so make sure you, you tag um, the chip away podcast Egg Millen's custom tool belts and um, get your few of your mates in there who you think might be um, keen to get a tool belt or, or follow us and just we get a lot of people just watching us out of interest and seeing what we're up to and what we're doing and um, it's it's one thing I do note I get a lot of feedback from people who are builders as well and just love love what we're doing as well so that's always really, really encouraging so yeah it is great to watch actually you, you've got a good um instagram presence it's uh it's good fun and it, it is great to see all the photos of the happy customers and all the different belts getting made out there it's um makes it a lot more accessible so um yeah that, that's how i found out about you guys was on instagram um so yeah it's it's uh, a good little um good little profile you got going there so anyway uh yeah glenn um thanks very much for coming on mate and, and telling the story this has been one that i've been looking forward to getting to do for a while i really i love the story i love the passion you guys have and, and even you know like you said right at the top of the show just your contribution to basically the the built environment in new zealand providing so many quality tool belts to help kiwis build all of our houses and all of our buildings so hey good on you and good on millens for for doing it so again thanks for coming on mate really appreciate it right thank you it's been a pleasure yeah i've enjoyed it myself all right thanks for listening friends that was a good episode really enjoyed that having the opportunity to speak to glenn and kind of tell the story of millens and listen to all the banter you know that there'd be so many stories that that go along with a company like that who have been in the game and and helping tradies out for so many years so hopefully you got a taste of the culture and the story behind millens with that podcast that interview there's so much more Um, they run a great instagram page where they show their products and tell stories and have awesome interactions with the local tradie community out there so hop on instagram go and follow them like i said at the top of the show And Glenn mentioned if you want to be a part of the giveaway, then hop over to Millen's Custom Toolbelts on Instagram. Find the post, follow the instructions, and you're in to win one of these beautiful toolbelts of your choice, um, up to the value of $500, custom made just for you. How good. Yeah, really enjoyed that one. I say this with every episode, um, but... That one was really cool. It was a great opportunity. Uh, thanks very much to Glenn and um, to the whole Millens team for uh, letting me do this and, and interview him and kind of get to know the story. Yeah, I can feel their passion and, and I really appreciate it, you know. Glenn has a really big emphasis on on 
providing for the local builders and the local tradies out there and keeping practical Kiwis in work and delivering them with reliable products. Uh, And it's a great story. And yeah, if you're looking for a custom tool belt that's going to look after you, then that's the place you need to go. Shout out to Kiwi Innovation, you know, the story of John and how he started the company and and where it is now and just brilliant. Really enjoyed listening to that story. Hope you did too. Thanks again for your support. Thanks again for listening. Many, many thanks to Glenn and the Millens team once again for giving me the opportunity and for also doing this awesome giveaway. Um, yeah, there's going to be a very happy tradie maybe in a few weeks' time when their brand new belt arrives or they go to pick it up in person, who knows? So awesome. Get in the draw, get amongst it, support a great grassroots New Zealand company like Millen's Custom Tool Belts. Thanks for listening. Until the next one, keep chipping away.